Hey there, my fellow inspiration junkies. It's Tanji Renee here. I have a quick heads up and a thank you. After today, the season is a wrap. I'm dropping the last two episodes right here, right now, so you don't have to wait because you've waited long enough. Thank you for hanging with me through a tough year and a few ups and downs. I did have to take a mid-season break to tend to some personal stuff. Things are all good, I swear, and I'm looking forward to finally getting these last two episodes into your ears. And as I do every season, I want to remind you that we are looking for guests for our next season, season eight, which is due out late summer of 2022. Our season eight theme is already selected. It's going to be the She Knows Money season. I will be talking to women experts that are going to teach us the ins and outs of getting money, keeping money, and making that money work for us. You're going to want to bring your notebook with you to season eight because the guest lineup is crazy dope. If you want to pitch yourself as a guest or someone you know does, all you got to do is send me an email to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com and let me know why you would be a great guest on the show. Thank you again for coming back season after season to learn with me as we get to hear the stories and insights of truly brilliant women. Don't forget to follow us on social media and your listening apps and sign up for the newsletter so you know exactly when the next season is ready to drop. And signing up for the newsletter is also the only way you're going to hear about awesome listener giveaways. Head over to that's what she did podcast.com and drop your email. Now, let's get into it. Our next guest is an Emmy Award winning social justice storyteller, activist, media strategist, and producer focused on advocacy on behalf of Indigenous peoples. She is an internationally accomplished executive with a diverse background in tribal, corporate, and nonprofit organizations. Her creative projects are rooted in her worldview as an Ogallala Lakota raised on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, supporting narrative change for healing and impact. She is a founder, she's a CEO, an author, and a multi-talented creator who has developed narrative change initiatives for Native Americans with Anne Hathaway, John Legend, Marissa Tomei, Mark Rothwell, and the Obama administration, just to name a few. Her resume is stacked and goes on and on. And I am super excited to introduce you to Sarah Eaglehart. We have a really thoughtful conversation about narrative change and the importance of harnessing our own stories as communities of color. I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you. Welcome back, everyone, to That's What She Did podcast. It's me, Tangier Renee, and I am thrilled, excited even to introduce you to our guest this week, Sarah Eagleheart. She's a activist, a storyteller, an author, a media strategist, an Emmy Award winner, many, many things, wearing many, many hats, doing all of the work <laughs> and uh, killing it. So I'm excited to introduce you to her work and her latest projects. Welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. 
It's definitely my pleasure. As I was sharing with you before we started recording, I'm pretty sure an audience member tagged me on something on social media that you're working on. And that's how we made our way together. So um, thank you, audience member, whoever that was, because I'm really bad about tracking who tags me on what and when and all of that. But the majority of the guests that we get on the show are curated by me, I suppose, but really they're curated by our audience members who are saying there's this really badass woman that you need to talk to. You need to figure out how to get her on the show. So thank you, audience, for continuing to uh, curate and do that work for this show. Um, And thank you specifically whoever brought your work to my attention. So I wanted to shout out that person. (laughs) (laughs) So as I mentioned, Sarah, you are working on a lot of different things. But one of the things that stood out to me when I was looking into all of the many things that you do is that you're defined as a social justice storyteller. And, you know, podcasting is storytelling sometimes, depending on the podcast. Um, But I love that title, social justice storyteller. And I want to know, what does that mean to you? Well, it means so many things. Um, I think in my life, I've been just curious about a lot of things in the world. And I've always really cared about making an impact. And um, TikTok told me that I'm a multi-hyphenate. So, (laughs) you know, it's kind of hard to describe yourself when you are somebody that's curious about a lot of different things in this world. Um, So for me, it just really all comes down to that I want to make a difference in my home community of Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, which is the home of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe. And so I am Ogallala Lakota. I'm a member of a tribe and grew up there. And just seeing the poverty and, you know, the over 80% unemployment that been there for decades. Um, that has really driven a lot of the work that I do. And I, because I see also similar things happening in other Native American communities as well. Um, that when I got, I, you know, it's, I came full circle. I started out as a young teenager that wanted to be a journalist. Um, she was also an activist, by the way, and protested her high school at like age 16 <laughs> for a racist, stereotypical, um, spiritually degrading homecoming ceremony, in quotes, um, that was done by mostly white kids. <laughs> and um, the medicine man danced around the woman and chose one by looking at her mouth, looking like petting her head and like manually weighing her. And then whoever was lifted by the medicine man, again, um, he then gave her to the big chief as a gift. And she was like the homecoming queen. So my twin sister and I saw a lot of problems with this and protested for four years until they finally finished. And that would have been one of the earliest protests against a mascot. So that was in, I'm going to like date myself, but like 1994. <laughs> and so. As an adult, um, I, you know, I did the writing for a little while and then I was in advertising and marketing at an Indian casino. And then I went and worked at a church um, 
which ended up actually landing me at the National Episcopal Church on the staff of the presiding bishop, Catherine Jeffers Shorey, which then I helped support a movement of the repudiation of the doctrine of discovery, which is basically saying manifest destiny was wrong. Like no one has the right, the inherent right to conquer anybody. Um, And so I really learned about these sort of campaigns, the narrative change campaigns that you can do on such a large scale. And I did that work at the Episcopal Church, which also led to several denominations also repudiating the doctrine of discovery, including the World Council of Churches in 2012. So then I ended up in philanthropy and was in the nonprofit space. And I think a lot of the threads that I keep happening is social justice. And I also learned that by telling my story, which most people had never heard of any Native American that grew up on the reservation that had, you know, had all the good and bad of growing up on that reservation, right? Like all of the trauma, but also like all of the cultural knowledge and wisdom. So I use stories to educate. And it became this way for, um, for me to have a larger impact. So now that you know, I've had this career that's gone full circle has always been around healing communities, healing people, healing my own people, educating. I decided, you know, social justice storyteller was a good label to land on myself. P.S. I also got that advice from a really amazing filmmaker that was like, you need a brand. (laughs) And And I was like, okay, yeah, I probably do need a brand. And and she had recommended it. She said, yeah, she's like, like social justice storyteller, um, which is good, right? Because it lets me do all of the general storytelling that I want to do, whether it's an animation or horror, horror or like, um, you know, drama or my books, you know, that I'm currently working on, or my, you know, my philanthropy, because I co-founded a foundation to support Indigenous women-led initiatives, um, Return of the mm-hmm. Heart Foundation. And I also got a co-CEO. So I developed the organization so that I would have freedom to do all my multi-hyphenate hyphenated things. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's where I'm at today social justice storyteller. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say it's so open-ended because that could be a journalist, it could be a novelist, it could be any number of things. And so somebody could say, well, what is that exactly? Are you a journalist? Are you a writer? Are you a filmmaker? What are you? And you can say all of the above, (laughs) all of them. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, people are always trying to put you in a box, which is so limiting. But I also think that. Hey, friends, it's me, Tangia Renee with That's What She Did podcast. And I am excited to introduce you to our episode sponsor, History Colorado. I love a great museum and History Colorado is one of my favorites. At eight museums across Colorado, including the Center for Colorado Women's History in Denver, the team at History Colorado wants you to discover a personal and powerful connection. Plus, their incredible Bold Women Change History series is coming back this fall of 2021. Their members support local artists and designers, after-school programs for working families, and educators working with at-risk youth. 
Find your history at historycolorado.org. Native Americans, you know, we grow up, well, Lakota people, Native Americans, but like Lakota people grow up with just this very um, inherent worldview around our prayers. And one of them, it's like the Lakota Amen is Medakuya Oyase, which means we're all related, we're all connected. And so obviously, like all of my solutions to all of these problems are going to look different. And because I I care about the impact on the ground. So if it's going to take me, you know, working with Mark Ruffalo to like, change stuff, you know, in the grassroots community, like pipelines, or, you know, telling stories, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Or, you know, if, if Anne Hathaway wants to help, you know, get out the vote, then, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let me use your megaphone that you have, (laughs) and educate all of these people all at once. And, you know, and then I get to meet cool people along the way that do amazing projects and actually truly really do care. So, you know, it's everything. You're doing all the things you're like, you're really out here doing the most. (laughs) When I was looking at your resume, I was like, oh my gosh, she's doing everything. (laughs) (laughs) Like everything. Sometimes I forget. I'm just like, what? It all makes sense in my head. (laughs) (laughs) as long as it makes sense in your head that's all that matters and you know and it's leading to impact and and I think that what's really smart is that it's not you trying to run off and do all these things with yourself it's a lot of partnerships so that there's this pooling of resources and uh creating a greater impact which just makes sense so true that's what I say right it's just about getting the bigger impact and I think for me it's about Also, I'm very spiritually led. So like, let me say that, like, it might look crazy, like all over the place, but like, I'm also very spiritually led. So like, I follow my intuition or my gut down a pathway that I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of that pathway. And then all of a sudden, I win an Emmy. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, I did not expect that to happen. Um, Working with John Legend and working on a virtual reality project and being able to tell a Native story that also can change people's um, just insight and worldview. And so I, so yes, it might look crazy, but also it leads to like really amazing things that is Mm -hmm. all just really guided by the great spirit, Tenkashala, you can call them God or whatever. Um, but, but it's just truly really me following, you know, that intuition and guidance. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I want to zero in a little bit more on this idea of narrative change um, and storytelling. I think that's an important thread to pull. Because as before I started doing this podcast, I'll just back up for a second. Before I started doing this podcast in 2018, I can, there was so little about the world and women who are different than me that I actually knew. I'd like to think of myself as pretty well-educated and very open-minded and um, always seeking to learn 
and make connections and that kind of thing. But then I started doing this podcast and actually sitting down like this and talking to um, people from different communities than me and being sort of slapped upside of the head with the sheer lack of information I actually had. And I, and I like read constantly, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I'm well-informed. And even as someone who previously considered myself well-informed, I was like, Oh God, I'm not well-informed at all. And, and one of the things that I realized pretty quickly was that whether I like it or not, the dominant narrative in whatever the culture is impacts me. Certain pieces of that get sort of filtered down into my brain and stick there. And whether or not they're accurate or not, I just kind of think that they are. Um, And so this has been a really eye-opening growth experience for me just as the podcast host, as, you know, as someone that curates the guest, And, and so I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of narrative change as a social justice tool. Um, and I think it's something that we don't, we haven't really been talking about until recently, at least openly in the media and in just everyday discourse. It's where do the ideas about what you think about people or communities come from and we don't often interrogate that. So I'd love to hear more about how did you specifically land on narrative change as being one of the key foundational steps that has to happen in order to empower your community and others? Well, it's exactly that. It's just the ignorance of America, right? (laughs) Like I feel like... Mm -hmm. Most of us, if you grew up in America, then you grew up learning a history that was basically a lie. And, you know, so when you're young, it's like we learned all of this propaganda about how it was so great that we had these pioneers that came in and took all this land and Christopher Columbus discovered the, you know, Americas and, you know, but like nothing about the genocide or the forced relocation or the prison camps or any of that. Right. And even just this year, accurate histories are for native Americans are just now being told in the United States. So for me, it didn't take me long to figure out that the education that I was doing one by one, like group by group was just taking too damn long. (laughs) And I had to figure out a way to have a bigger impact. Um, Again, because I want to see change and I don't think it's fair. So I sort of, you know, after working in the nonprofit space and, you know, hustling and working with communities and, you know, big organizations, whether it's philanthropy or churches or nonprofits, you know, you get to a point where you're like, this system is not working. And if I'm going to change the system, then we have to start at the top and we have to just start educating and changing people's knowledge. 
Um, so for me, like that's why narrative change has become such a key component of my work. And I'll tell you, it was not five years ago. It was not a key component of my work five years ago. But the moment that Trump arrived <laughs> and, you know, that was the moment where it was like, all of a sudden people were willing to listen. And all of a sudden people were like, oh no, we gotta, we gotta work hard here. <laughs> we have to change this. So the opportunity presented itself because more people were willing to listen and willing to use their platforms to create change. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I landed in all of it just, you know, five years ago. So the Trump presidency was the catalyst events for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's probably accurate. Um, even for myself and, and I, as I was reflecting recently and thinking about narrative change and, and how much I've learned and grown just by being, you know, part of this podcast, I, I came to this moment right, where there was, there was everything that happened before 2016 and everything that happened after 2016. And, and I was reflecting on that myself. And I was thinking, you know, in my previous career, I was in politics, I ran campaigns, I was in nonprofits, I ran nonprofits, I did all these kinds of things, and walked away from it because I was so burned out and feeling so jaded, and feeling like, there is no amount of work that I could do that was actually going to change anything. And so I just opted out for a few years. I was like, oh my God. I gotta I find something else. So much. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then Trump happened. And I was like, oh, hell to the no. <laughs> like, I got, you know, it, it re-engaged me. It lit a new fire. Um, so I that resonates for me completely. But so you have this moment, you're like, sort of similar to mine where you're like, okay, <laughs> we got to do something new here. When did you know that narrative change was going to be a key pillar in creating big impacts? Women's March. <laughs> I mean, that's when I knew it was going to be a really key role, but it also took me pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I mean, people laugh at me because they're like, I'm like, no, I'm actually an introvert people. And they're, but they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I actually am. I know I'm an introvert. So, um, amnivert, like whatever, like I'm on the line. Right. Uh, but I know because <laughs> I get really tired having to talk to people. So like, that's how I know I'm somewhere in the introvert spectrum. Um, and I, with Women's March, it was just one of those things where it was like, oh, hey, are you going to Women's March? Are you going like, wait, they have no, but they have no Native Americans on the conveners table. Like what the hell? And, and then, you know, just sort of pushing myself out there into those spaces. And, and honestly, I had advisors at the time. So I was working with these people that had worked at the Obama administration. Um, I'll give him a shout out, Dr. David Washington and Bim Iyendale from the P4P um, crew. And they were like, hey, like, 
are you the face of this organization or not? Like you need to get out there and like, you know, be, be out there. Like, you know, like you need to, um, I mean the social media stuff too, right? Like all of a sudden they were like, okay, take your profile off of private, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like delete all the photos you don't want people to see. Um, and they're like, and we need, you know, we need you to jump into this space. And I think at that time it was really, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like I've been doing all the bridge building within native communities for like over a decade. Like, you know, I have a degree in American Indian studies. Like I, I have all the, all of the knowledge and, and the, just, you know, the tools basically. And was like, okay, like, let me help create something. And so with um, Women's March, it just became an opportunity to be a part of an of a change. And, and so now like seeing that Native American issues are kind of an everyday thing now for most groups that are woke anyway, <laughs> like the issues are on the table, right? Like people know about missing murdered Indigenous women. People know about pipelines um, that they didn't know about before. Um, so I think for me, it's been really rewarding. I mean, the NFL team took down, you know, the Washington team took down the, I mean, we were fighting for that like forever ago. So for me, it's like this year have been so many big moments that finally I feel like, okay, we've made some real progress and, Mm -hmm. but it's also sort of time to like triple down. So, I mean, it may look like I'm doing because there's still a lot to do. So I mean, I, right. I have to continue just pushing um, out of my comfort zone and um, being there and, and just being ready to go and tell those stories that actually make a difference. And especially the stories from like the grassroots and um, building those networks and building those pathways. Are you concerned now that Trump is not in the White House that Native issues get pushed back to the back burner now? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at Hollywood, historically, there was usually maybe an 18-month window where Native Americans were the hot thing. So, you know, back in like, I don't know, the... 90s it was like we had dance with wolves and thunderheart and smoke signals like we had like three movies that came out right all led by men by the way all and like two of them were like two movies had like white men like telling the story through their eyes right well i only i only ever saw dances with wolves (laughs) and i was like i even when i was a kid and that movie came out i thought that that movie was strange i was like i don't (laughs) so this movie isn't I remember watching it and thinking this movie isn't about like this tribe of people it's not about this culture it's about this white guy who who deserted from the army it's about him so exactly (laughs) exactly well and I I mean that's the thing I mean eight 18 month windows where it was like a random like story that came out Um, P.S. by the way like my aunties and like so many people I know were extras in that (laughs) in that movie (laughs) I have a cousin like named after Kevin Costner so obviously I love 
Kevin Costner, thank you for your platform and, you know, helping out there. But also we need more native stories and more native Mm -hmm. actors and artists like in these stories. So I feel like that's still where we have to do a lot of work. Um, So my, it's like my narrative change game has, you know, is still activacy, but I feel like I also have to broaden it out to like films, like producing projects and, you know, continuing with the animation or, and, or like writing books. So it's, it's just all the stuff um, because we're not even close to having equity right now. So Mm -hmm. we have a long way to go. With all of, all of the work that you're involved in, how do you define for yourself what end game is? What are you working towards? What's the impact that you want to see? Oh my God, that's such a huge question. I don't feel like I even planned 10 years down the road. So I used to be like a really big planner. And like, I think mm-hmm. when I was 16, it was like, I planned out my life, right? I was going to be a journalist. <laughs> and then, you know, I, you know, fell off that little pathway. But I think for myself, I'm really pushing to myself to tell stories on the biggest platforms possible. Like, and I don't know what those platforms are yet because again, like Mm -hmm. being spiritual and just following like intuition, it's like, I feel like the creator will unveil projects for me to do. And, um, and I will do them and we'll see what happens. But um, but it's exciting, to be honest. It's very exciting to see the, the reward of having um, just being able to make an impact. Because I am so driven by impact that it's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, we, that name change happened, you know, or, you know, or just anything really that it's like, Oh, we had, we now have a native American cabinet member. We have native American Congress women, you know? So a lot of this is just so, is so long overdue. Um, And I, I still think we're at that point of real change. Mm hmm. So I think it's important to point out that you're you're right. Like the thing that we don't talk about when these changes happen is how they happen. And it sort of feels, you hear about it on the news or see it on social media and it sort of feels like it happened in a vacuum and you're like, oh, great. And you don't see the many people and the many hours of work that went into that. Because when I think about um the NFL team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, they didn't, you know, the owner of that team didn't wake up one morning and, and was like, let's change the name. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, you know, it just seems like a good idea to change the name. So we're just going to change the name. That's not a decision that they came to lightly. That was years and lots and lots of people lobbying and doing on the ground work to make that situation possible. Yeah. And I credit like black advocacy, like movement leaders, because I felt like after George Floyd, 
happened and he passed and his like tragic death happened. So many of the black organizers were out there saying black and indigenous, black and indigenous, like over and over in the media. And I was like, yes, thank you. Finally, like recognizing the fact that, you know, our community is also experiencing high levels of mass incarceration and um, which most people probably weren't even aware of. And so you can trace everything back to, you know, history and all of the, again, propaganda that we have out there where it's like, you know, we, it's okay to say horrific names um, <clears throat> because it's an honor. We're honoring you. Like, why aren't you honored? And, you know, so it's all, I think it's taken so many people and this year was such a success, but it's been, it's been decades of people like lobbying FedEx, lobbying like everywhere to say, hey, are you really going to stand up behind this? And after George Floyd's death, people actually stood up and said, no, we're tired of this. And thank God is all I can say. Yeah. I mean, that, that leads me back to a question about narrative change more generally. So who, when we're talking about narrative change and, you know, telling the stories of, the realness of a situation of real impact about how these things are the play out in real time in real people's lives. I think one of the challenges is who controls these narratives from here on out. So it's always been whatever, whoever the dominant culture is, they control the narrative. They're the ones that green light the movies that tell the stories about, you know, these people, whether it be Native American people or Black people or Hispanic people or, you know, Latinx, whatever the case may be. And then when we're fighting, when you're you know, out there fighting for a narrative change and saying you're not only are you not telling the story correctly, you're telling the wrong story. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to take back that power, then who is there? Does there become a gatekeeper for the stories of people now? Like This is a question that I always have where I'm like, this is hard, (laughs) you know, who, how do we make sure that we don't end up on some other strange end of the spectrum where there's this weird gatekeeping narrative and the stories being told still aren't accurate. They're just controlled by someone else. Well, there's always been gatekeeping. I mean, it's never, that's never changed. Um, I feel like in every sector there's been gatekeeping, Um, whether it's, you know, the church or whether it's philanthropy or whether it's Hollywood, there's always been somebody green lighting, whatever it is. Um, I think that what's happened is there are many people working in all of these sectors to change it up too. And, um, I think one of the things that I always feel is so important is to really like research who, what story, like what community, like who represents that community? 
Um, because I mean, sometimes people will be like, I just want to tell a native American story. Right. And then not, there was like, Oh wait, there's over 566 federally recognized tribes in the United States. So which tribal story are you trying to tell? And then you, they might just find a tribal person that's like a member of that tribe that maybe didn't even grow up in that community or have like firsthand knowledge. And then you're like, well, hold on. Are you actually, which perspective are you telling? Because if that person didn't grow up within that community or that culture, then, you know, they probably shouldn't be telling that story or you should be finding somebody from that community to tell that story. So I think that the push for like more accurate, um, just storytelling in general has also been big this year. And, and I see people calling it out more and saying, oh, wait, hey, did you do your homework? Did you um, look around and see, you know, which community member is most appropriate to tell that story? And, and I think that once you do it, once people are actually asking them that, asking themselves that question, I think then it becomes, um, it provides just more opportunities for people to be able to tell something that's authentic and telling an authentic story. Um, and so I'm actually excited because I hear that coming up more often in a mm. lot of the work that I do. So for me, it's like, I can't just be like a storyteller. That would be awesome, right? I could just go out and like write my book and, you know, make movies or whatever. I actually have to be an educator at the same time. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like constantly doing like this dance with like the education, the advocacy and the storytelling all at once, um, mm-hmm. which is a lot of work and it's exhausting, but that's also mm-hmm. why it looks like I'm doing everything right. Because somebody has to, and, and I can, so, you know, I'm, I, I can do that work. So, um, thankfully, you know, we have a lot of people that are able to be multi-hyphenates and like do that same educational work as well. And, and I think once people begin to ask themselves, am I doing appropriate research? Then everything, you know, gets a lot easier and, and more people have the opportunity to um, add their voice to, mm-hmm. to that project or story. Right. And I, so I think that's key, right? In in any any storytelling, if you are telling a story, you have to ask yourself, do I actually know what I'm talking about? Um, and have I done the work? Which I think is important. But it also makes me think of that whole debacle with that book that came out. Um, what was it called? American Dirt. And the author is a white woman telling an immigrant story, but said that she did all of the research. She researched this extensively and da, 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 and, and then wrote this fictional story that ended up being highly problematic. And so I wonder, do you have any advice <laughs> to someone, you know, in the dominant culture, maybe a white person like this author who wrote this book that ended up being not great. 
for, for the way that she went about it or anybody that wants, you know, that's really interested in telling a story that maybe isn't theirs and thinks that they're doing the work. Like what is the process that you actually go through to make sure that you have integrity in that research and that you're telling that story in a way that's respectful and not demeaning and not based in stereotypes? Well, I mean, if you have to do all of this research about somebody else's story, like maybe you shouldn't tell the story. I mean, I just. It seems simple. Yeah. I, it's just, you know, I just feel like it's very extractive sometimes, you know, that mm-hmm. somebody's going to come in and extract your story and then make money off of it. Right. Um, and this leads to all the systemic issues, by the way, the fact that, you know, a native person couldn't tell their own story because they don't have the opportunity to go to school or they don't have the opportunity to find a publisher to publish their book, you know, so this leads all to the system. And the fact that, you know, somebody that's not native has that opportunity to tell somebody else's story just points to all of the issues with the system. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, a, I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> and I think it's fair. I mean, I still think about, you know, this, this debacle with, with that book, American Dirt. I'm not an author. I'm not in publishing. And I still think about it. And I think it seemed like it was simple. Like there was a simple thing that, that this person wrote this manuscript and a publisher should have looked at this and been like, why are you submitting this manuscript? <laughs> well, and they don't, but you know, I, I have to, I, I mean, I have to say that it is really hard for, for native people to get contracts and to, to get a publishing contract to get mm-hmm. any of that. And I think in the process of my, myself becoming an author, um, I'm currently co-writing a self-help memoir with my identical twin sister, Emma, who is a psychotherapist. And about four or five years ago, we individually came up with this idea that we were supposed to write a book. And I thought I was really special. And I was like, oh yeah, creator's talking to me. And I, so I tell her, I'm like, hey, I think I was supposed to write a book. And she was like, me too. I was like, oh, well, what's your book about? And she's like, healing. I was like, mine too. And I was like, I think we're supposed to write this book together. And um, what was so great about it was that I knew people, right? (laughs) So like, I was like, um, it was like my partner who, P.S., by the way, who just happens to be the president of the Ogallala Sioux tribe right now. And he's like a former state senator and um, like a state legislative rep for like a decade. But he knew people. And he was like, hey, like we should talk to, you should talk to my friends over, she's like the ED of feminist press. And so I talked with her and, um, and then she said, we submit, we ended up submitting our manuscript there. And it was actually the only place that we submitted our manuscript to. And they came back and were like, yeah, we want to publish, we want to publish your book, but and also we received several manuscripts from other people telling you're trying to tell your story. And that's why we think it's so important for us to take on your manuscript. And, um, but you know, 
there it's feminist press. It's a small publisher. They um, are a nonprofit and are were actually run was run by Jumia Wilson, but now she's over at Random House, so she's not there anymore. Um, but she was incredibly educated about all of the issues as well, and she's African American, so she was like, "Hey." you know, we really need to do this. And so I do think it takes more diversity at the top, obviously, um, who are educated about all of these systems of oppression, the various systems of oppression, and then also give that opportunity and like go out on a limb and say, hey, let me work with that person. The other thing is like, it's like some people don't want to do the work, right? They want to do the easiest laziest possible route. And, and that's also frustrating too, because that's also systemic. If somebody has a learning curve, Hey, it just might take them a little longer to do the project. And if, you know, how about let's let that happen. (laughs) Like, let's let, you know, let's take that time to ensure that a really phenomenal voice that has never been heard before gets that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So you are working on your your book now with your sister. Is that slated to come out anytime soon? It is. We're hoping for January 2022 um, with Feminist Press. And I also just have a book that um, was published. It's called this is how we come back stronger. And that was just released actually yesterday in the United States and is releasing, it also released in the UK on March 23rd. Um, And it's a feminist anthology of a bunch of amazing writers who are often the marginalized, never heard of writers. Mm-hmm. Caring about their post-COVID insights into how we change um, crisis into something beautiful and lovely and transformative. So I'm excited about that. And I, I wrote my um, I wrote an essay based on my visit to um, Ghana a couple years ago for the 400 year return. Um, where we got to meet with the tribal leaders there locally, as well as see a bunch of people from the NAACP um, get reconnected back to their tribal roots. And so I do a lot of compare and contrast about that experience um, with my own uh, mm-hmm. values and, um, and insights as well. So, I mean, basically... I think we all need to go back to remembering indigenous wisdom and knowledge and give, um, give indigenous people more of a voice. So thank you Mm -hmm. for doing that. My pleasure. I mean, you know, like I said before, I feel like I learned so much that that maybe I'm the one that benefits the most from this podcast. (laughs) So so it's, it's uh, definitely a pleasure to be able to talk to you and learn about, all of the many things that you're up to and and working on. And um, I can't wait to check out the anthology that just came out yesterday. So I'll definitely be getting my hands on that and giving that a read. We will make sure to link to all of your places in our show notes, including the the newest book. And I'll keep an eye out for, for your book that, that you're writing with your sister. 
um, so that I can give that a look too. So thank you so much for your time today, especially as busy as you are. Again, you're doing at the most. And I appreciate you so much for taking some time out of that schedule to spend some time with us on the show. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And I'm, and thank you for the ability to be real. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of my thing sometimes is just, you know, sometimes to heal, we have to tell the truth. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, we're going to wrap here. As usual, everything is going to be linked in the show notes. So make sure you go there, check out the anthology. This is how we come back stronger, which just released and keep an eye out for Sarah's new book coming out in January. In the meantime, follow her on social. We'll, We'll post to the places for you. Consider getting involved. Take a look and see what you can learn, just as I have learned um, from Sarah today. As usual, you know this is the part where I tell you to don't forget to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Because we're seasonal, you will not get notified of new episodes as they come out if you're not subscribed to us and when we have new launches and all of the things. So hit subscribe. Thank you so much for spending your time with us on this podcast. You could be spending it anywhere that you choose to give it here. Um, And thank you for sharing the show. We have grown globally because of your shares, because of your recommendations. You are our advocates. So thank you so, so much from the bottom of my heart. I love you forever. Until next time, we're out.